Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today's episode of Gear 30 is brought to you by HouseQuiver.com, which, as we told you about last week, is offering you a no-brainer of a deal on unlimited rentals of premium skis and snowboards for $99 through the end of the season. So the way this works is that if you are about to go get your spring break on or just go ski or ride at any of these six Epic Pass locations, Heavenly, Whistler, Breckenridge, Park City, Vale, or our very own Crested Butte, it would be seriously silly of you not to get in on this deal. Here's how it works. You go to housequiver.com, that's H-A-U-S, quiver.com, and join House Quiver to get unlimited premium ski and snowboard rentals for $99 from brands like K2, Icelandic, Faction, and Never Summer. And for that one-time fee of $99, you can then rent as many times as you want before the end of the season at Heavenly, Whistler, Breckenridge, Park City, Vale, and Crested Butte. So you now have zero reason to keep skiing on those skis or that board that you don't actually really like, or this is your chance to check out some new boards and see what you think. It also means that you do not have to travel with your skis or your board, and that, again, as somebody who has to do this all the time, is truly priceless. So do yourself a favor, go check out housequiver.com, get on some cool new skis or boards for a screaming deal, and you can rent them right from the House Quiver mobile app, pre-book your gear, and skip the rental shop lines. So go to housequiver.com to download the app and get started. Okay, today on the podcast, we have back with us again, Matt Manzer, who is the Atomic Ski Boots product manager. And here in part four of our very deep dive on ski boots, our primary aim is to demystify the extremely complex, extremely expensive, and poorly understood category of ski boot liners. But to kick off this conversation, we're going to first brush up a little bit on plastics, and more specifically, we're going to talk about the not-so-straightforward category of quote-unquote grillamid, and then from there, we're going to go a bit deeper into the topics of forward lean and ramp angles in ski boots, and then we're going to jump right down the rabbit hole on ski boot liners discuss the different types of liners and the pros and cons of each of them. You're going to learn about the 30-second test and why Atomic views it as a critical factor when it comes to ski boot sales. Matt and I also talk about whether it's a fine thing or a dumb thing to shove some aftermarket liner into your nice high-performance shell. And then Matt is going to talk about a brand new liner from Atomic that incorporates what Atomic is calling Mimic technology. And in the process of talking about Mimic, we also talk about next year's Hawks Ultra 130S Alpine boot, which I've been skiing the last several days, and the also new for next year, Hawks Prime Ultra Extended boot. And so for all of you slightly bigger-footed folks who always wanted to get into a Hawks Ultra Extended You should pay really close attention to what Matt has to say about this boot and turn the volume on your speakers all the way up. 
And with that, let's get to the conversation that I recorded with Matt Manzer between 8 p.m. and midnight in Austria, where he's located. And so, yeah, credit to Matt for sounding so clear and coherent about all of this stuff when we were having this conversation basically at midnight his time. Strong work there, Matt. And again, I think you guys are all going to find this to be another really good one. Here we go. Well, Matt Manzer, it's you again. Here I am. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, if there's been a part one and a part two and a part three, there's got to be a part four, right? So um, It's only natural. It just seems only natural. So we're back. You're back. We're at it again. And, you know, look, I got to say, we've received a lot of... Um, really enthusiastic responses uh, to this series. And so probably we should just announce right now, this is part four of our 150 episode series. Indefinite podcast series. <laughs> Till the end of the world. Uh, yeah. Um, but I don't know. Or we'll just end it at four. Who, kn- who knows how these things will, will go. Um, but We did promise, I think, at the end of our part three that uh, we would be going to at least a fourth. And so here we are making good on this promise. And uh, and I do want to say, I mean, I I think for people who either haven't listened to part one, two, and three, you definitely should. I think some of those episodes, there was a lot of information and things got kind of dense, perhaps especially on the topic of plastic. And uh, I think I'm I'm willing to say, like, those are kind of evergreen, like, good, there's good material there, good refresher stuff uh, for everybody to brush up on. Um, so this is part four, but don't forget about, you know, part one, two, or three. You're probably due for a, a re-listen if you haven't gotten there already. Yeah, you definitely want to catch the trilogy before the fourth part here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the way we're going to open is... M- Maybe we're going to start with a kind of a few more or less random questions. We'll bounce around a little bit. Then we're going to really get into liners. That's kind of the where the heavy lifting will be today. But before we get there, um, it was funny. I recently had Tor Verdank on the podcast, and we had a nice conversation with Tor. The funniest part is kind of been the rather feisty comment section uh, that has developed from the Gear 30 podcast that I did with Tour. And uh, so you guys can check some of that out. Um, I don't really know what to say about it. It's mostly, I think it's kind of funny. But some things came up concerning Grillamid. And I wanted to, um, before we get to liner talk and the like, I figured I'd just have you... Come back to Grillamid. I know you saw those comments in response to our episode, our Gear 30 episode with Tor. Talk to me a little bit about Grillamid and what you think we ought to know or kind of keep in mind. Sure. First, I love that we're talking about the comment section on Tor's podcast for this. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Tor's going to get a huge kick out of this. Uh huh. Um, so, yeah, Grillamid. Um, I think if you remember in our deep dive on plastics. Grillamid is one of those, it's definitely a name that gets thrown around a lot. And it's kind of like, it's become the, the Kleenex in the world of tissues. Like not every lightweight plastic is Grillamid. 
Grillamid is a specific brand of plastic that is made by a Swiss plastic supplier. And other plastic suppliers, manufacturers, have their own versions of it. And this general category of plastic we're talking about is called polyamid, and it's abbreviated PA. So I'll, I'll probably refer to these as PA plastics. Um, so Grillamid uh, is a specific type of PA made by a specific Swiss company. Um, and even within that, there are many types of Grillamids that this company makes. So even if a brand says, oh, we're using Grillamid, it still means there's a multitude of plastics that it could be, and they all have different properties uh, for specific reasons. Um, the main reason that PA plastics in general are used in ski boots, especially touring boots, is because of their lightweight um, nature. They're about 25% lighter than your normal PU plastic in the same volume. So they're super light. Um, they're also very temperature stable. So if you go into a super cold day, like minus 20, or a spring day in this, like in in April, where it's just super warm. Usually, boots get really soft in those days, and they get super hard on the cold days. A temperature stable plastic like Grillamid or PA in general will kind of hold its flex characteristics from minus 20 to positive 20 degrees Celsius very very well, much better than PU. So we all know that PU plastics. Like you try it on at room temperature in a store, it feels one way, and then when you go skiing, it became a lot stiffer. So PU is very, um, it's not temperature stable compared to PA plastic. And so PA plastic, yeah, just to sum up, is really selected because it's super light. It is temperature stable. It's also very durable, abrasion resistant plastic, and it's also super, super expensive. It's about four times the cost per kilogram of the like a World Cup PU plastic that we would use. So these PA boots tend to live in these higher end, upper end price points because mainly because of that, or a lot to do because of that. And <clears throat> so there's always a quest to make boots more affordable, um, especially if, if, when a boot is like 900 bucks not super attainable for a lot of people. So some brands will try to use different plastics to achieve the same weight targets, and they'll use a polypropylene plastic or polyolefin. And these plastics typically have the same specific weight as PA, as grillamids, but they're way more cost-effective. The downside is they're not as durable, they're not as boot-fit friendly, um, and then what you're going to notice from our first podcast about plastics is there's always a compromise. There's always a give and take with these materials. There's no silver bullet um, that is just perfect in every regard. There's always going to be some little hang up um, about it. Sometimes it's, it's price, sometimes it's temperature stability, or it's boot fit friendly or unfriendly in nature. Um, but for a lot of applications especially in ski boots pa plastics and polypropylenes pp plastics are very similar so 
um, a lot of brands kind of will use them uh, al alternatively uh, or substitution-wise, um, depending on price point, depending on certain characteristics they want to have in the boot. And so would you clarify for us between Grillamid, PA, and PP, what is Atomic using or not using currently? We use both plastics, but we tend to use, or we really only use PP plastics in our kids' boots. We don't, we don't like that PP plastic isn't very boot fit friendly. So its stretching and grinding characteristics are not nearly as good as PA or PU. Um, its abrasion resistance, its durability is definitely below PAs and PUs. So that th those boots tend to get beat up or chewed up a lot, especially in binding areas, for example. Uh, or ski edges really do a number on PP boots. But it's similar to PA in that it is, you know, lightweight, temperature stable, can be injected in thin wall thicknesses. So therefore, we could potentially use it the way some other brands do on a high-end boot. We don't feel like it's necessary or desirable so much because of the, the negative boot fitting characteristics and durability characteristics that it usually presents. So when we're looking for a lightweight plastic, we tend to go, or we always go PA. And we, you, we go after um, different suppliers for different reasons, depending on the, the project we're working on. Sometimes we'll use BASF, sometimes we'll use EMS Grivery, but who makes Grillamid? Um, but PA plastics are definitely in our range. And given their substantial cost, they usually live at the higher end price points. Next question. Angles. We're going to talk about angles. So we had someone write in and say, I would love to hear in episode four more about boot sole angles and internal boot board angles how they are selected by the manufacturer, how they affect performance, and how these are altered to suit athletes' needs. He actually then said very interesting stuff thus far, so I'm going to say that's a compliment to you, Matt. So talk to me about boots and angles, the, the numerous angles, right, that come into to play as relevant factors here. Okay. I'm going to address World Cup racing separately because they tend to be a very specific bunch that if you just applied the angles to a world cup to all skiing most people generally wouldn't like it as much um let's look at our hawks boots for example this is kind of our our meat and potatoes does everything we make fixed cuff boots with this geometry as well as uh touring style boots like our extended series we try to find a geometry that puts people in what we call an athletic stance like a an athletic ready position. If you're if you're playing infield in baseball or soccer or golf, tennis, these images of someone getting ready to return a serve or catch a pitch or something like that, um, you get this image of someone with their knees bent, way towards the balls of their feet. They're ready for whatever comes their way, and this is the body position that we think our boots deliver out of the box really well. And 
we've arrived at our angles because we wanted to put the person in that general position for skiing. We don't like being super upright out of the box. We don't like being super forward. We tend to think we're in the middle. So our Hawks boots come out of the box with a 15 degree forward lean sitting on top of a four degree ramp angle. Ramp angle is the angle from the heel to the toe. And we think this is a really good starting point for a lot of people, for most people. But I'll be the first person to tell you that one combination of angles is not going to work for everybody. There's different amounts of ankle flexibility. Calf muscle size plays a huge role in how it affects your forward lean. Um, so on all of our Hawks boots and Hawks extended boots, we've got certain features that allow you to adjust the forward lean between 13 degrees, so a more upright uh, setting, 15 degrees, which we call neutral, or more forward to 17 degrees, which is more like a race boot, before you start messing with calf spoilers on the back of your liner, for example. So you can actually move our cuffs in three different settings uh, to find the forward lean that works for your biomechanical needs or your personal preferences, depending what you feel matches your skiing style the best. I only I only ski switch. Yeah, so you're going to want to have zero forward lean. Right, that's how I roll. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that to your boots, people. That would be bad. A zero forward lean boot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we did we've done some testing, um, and just like what what do you feel with fifteen degrees, with eleven degrees, with ten degrees, nine degrees of forward lean, and when you have a four degree ramp angle, as soon as you go less than 10, so like you're going 10, nine and a half, nine degrees, you actually start to feel like you're falling backwards. And that's just something, if you're looking to get an athletic balanced stance in your boot, that kind of ready position, that's where you don't want to be. Then you're going to be in the backseat skiing off your heels. And so we tend to think anything more upright than 13 degrees on a four degree ramp angle it's getting a little too upright for most people but for sure it makes sense for somebody depending on calf size for example um, calf muscle size plays a huge role in your not just the boots forward lean but what i would call the effective forward lean where it actually ends up putting you when you go skiing so you could imagine if a boot has a 15 degree forward lean, but you have just a massive calf muscle. You're like Jared Graves here. You just got just such a huge muscle that it actually pushes your knee forward beyond 15 degrees that the boot is. So when you have a big calf muscle, your effective forward lean is greater than what the boot is positioned at. So what we have on our boots, we call it power shift. This allows you to put the boot to 13 degrees, for example. So your effective forward lean would be something more like 15. Do you think this is a good time for, for me and you to announce that we've been working on a ski boot with minus 10 degrees of forward angle, it, just so I can <laughs> ski everything in perma afterbang? Yeah, there you go. Perma after bangs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just bringing new new style to the mountain, to, to big lines. There's a need. Yeah. There's a need. For I sure. mean, 
there there might be. But this is actually a good. Like you mentioned that, like you know, a lot of people think you know if you're a big mountain skier or you're very playful with your skiing style, you want a more upright stance. And you know, it's just funny that um, guys like Sage and Chris Benchetler, they will ski their Hawks Ultra Extended at 17 degrees. Are you, are you saying Sage has super skinny calves? Well, he was one of the first people to say, you know, some of these boots, when I'm on really steep terrain, I just need a little help staying forward. You know, um, as much as we think athletes have just always perfect balance, sometimes they do get in the backseat and they need the boot to literally help them stay forward. And if you're on like a really steep line, a more upright boot allows you to kind of get into the, the back seat that much easier. So some of these guys were the first to say, I need my free ride touring boot and my free ride boot to have just as much forward lean as our race boot. Just to get that support and that body positioning on super steep terrain. I'd be curious, like your experience with that. Cause I, I kind of, sometimes I find in really steep stuff, if a boot, has more forward lean. I see what Sage is saying in terms of like, that can be a useful thing, like help me stay forward. But then I kind of feel like you can get, there's a sort of point of no return. And I think this is relevant both to a boot and in terms of being on a ski, right? Like a stiff tail on a ski, you'll hear a lot of people say like, I want a stiffer tail because I find it to be more supportive on landings. Yeah. And, and yet... You can hit a point of no return, I feel like, where a softer tail on a ski or a more upright position in a boot, like if you do get back, like really get back, probably in a way that Sage is not trying to get back, especially if he's like filming a line, you know, but it's like, man, you get back in a boot too far back in a boot with a lot of forward lean and it's suddenly like you're kind of not recovering or it's going to be harder to get forward again and regain that forward stance position. You agree with that or disagree with that? Uh, I think this is such a personal thing that, especially like you just said, ski choice plays a huge role in how it positions you. If you have a really stiff tail to your ski, it's more apt to put you more forward naturally. You're not going to be able to, to just lean back as easily as a, a ski with a, a much softer tail. Um, so I think a lot of it is, you know, are you more of a center mounted skier? Um, is you, do you have a softer tail or a stiffer tail? All these things can really play into what forward lean works for you. And that's kind of why I always come back to the point where there, there isn't one geometry setting that I can say, Oh, this is what all the big mountain skiers love. This is what all the park kids love. Um, it's just going to be so different and so individual um, that your the boot needs to be able to be adjusted for your needs and your wants, ultimately. Um, so to come back to the the reader's question, you know, we start with a good setting that we think works for, I would say, the vast majority of the bell curve. Let's just say, and then it's able to be tweaked to your needs. I mean, one of the things I always hated doing as a boot fitter was adjusting a boot's forward lean. And I don't mean just with volume spoilers in the back of your calf muscle, 
but like actually cutting away plastic from the cuff and trying to get both boots to line up exactly right was just a nightmare. So doing changing forward lean on cuffs is, is real surgery and it's really hard for boot fitters to get um, both boots to line up symmetrically. Um, so that was one of the one of the things I really pushed hard for coming to Atomic was to have adjustable forward lean that was easy um, and consistent from left to right. Well, before we keep things moving here, let me ask you specifically about ramp angles. What have you got to say on that front? What should what should most of us know? I think no one's doing super crazy stuff with ramp angles and boots um, from a manufacturer's standpoint. They're all pretty close, within like a degree, half degree. And this kind of also backs up to a point where it's also really hard to measure these angles because there, there is no straight line up in forward lean, you know, for example. There is no straight line on your boot board. There are contours that match the foot, that match just the geometry. So to find a forward lean angle, you can measure things three different ways. And it's really hard to, to say every boot manufacturer is measuring forward lean in the same way. And I, I doubt most are, to be honest. Um, it's not like a head tube on a bike frame where it's like, okay, this one's 63 degrees, this one's 68. You can measure it really easily. Um, so it's, it's a little hard to put these numbers and make them applicable to all brands. But with that said, ramp angles are generally pretty consistent from the brands. You're going to get a lot of racers fine-tuning um, their ramp angles a bit more so than the average free skier or freestyle skier would, mainly because they've got so many boot options, so many ski options. Um, they're just trying to find the optimal setup for and we had a couple athletes uh, this past year with our Redster World Cup boot. This is such a burly, thick boot that in some conditions they were having a hard time getting more forward. And some of these racers have almost 20 degrees of forward lean to their boots. And what the guys, the, the boot techs were doing, were actually grinding off... Um, material from the bottom of the toe sole so that it would actually steepen their ramp angle a little bit, put them more forward. Um, uh, probably 10, 15 years ago, you were getting a lot of slalom athletes asking for like a gas pedal effect. They would actually lift the toes. So when they leaned forward, it really drove the tips into the snow uh, to engage faster. Um, you're going to see super wacky things when you start analyzing racers. And that's one of the things I've noticed. It's just, just don't get really hung up on what racers are doing. They're doing such <laughs> weird stuff that, and it would work for a week and they hate it a week later. You know, like they're, they're so finicky um, and fickle um, and superstitious about stuff that, I mean that in the, in the most positive way, guys, don't take that as a negative. Any of our racers are hearing me here, <laughs> but you know, it's true. Um, one thing works perfectly well one week, two weeks later, it's garbage. And it's so hard to, to narrow down like what really works on the race side. The, the thing you really want to have from, a, from my point of view in racing is a great starting point 
that you can kind of alter as as needed. And maybe you could say a word about a race boot with 20 degrees of forward lean versus a race boot with 17 degrees of forward lean. It's like, well, one of the things we haven't actually talked about yet is, I mean, at some point you flex the boot. Mm -hmm. And so the person who say is interested in going 20 degrees of forward lean, it's like, well, is the, why would you not ask the question, is this boot just too stiff for you? Right? Like, I presume you want to be racing and getting into the flexible boot a bit. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm bracing myself for you to say this is just totally personal and subjective. Right? But like, in your experience, do the athletes you talk to want to get in a bit to that flex of the boot? Or do they want to be against a wall, like a, a steep, you know, 20 degrees of ramp angle, steep wall, and they don't want to actually flex the boot until they need a kind of bailout, right, to save them from going over the handlebars or something like that? Uh, yeah, partly it's going to come back to a lot of personal preference. Mm -hmm. Damn, um, I knew it. But, I, I mean, this is also something I just, I can't fathom. I'm not that good of a skier. <laughs> I really get to these guys' uh, understanding, like Marcel. Marcel would have, uh, in certain events, his cuff positioned to 18 degrees, and he would have, um, a, we have cuff spoilers that actually mount into the cuff, and we have liner spoilers that Velcro onto the back of the liner. He would have his cuff to 18 He'd have the cuff spoilers mounted into the back of the cuff, and he'd have a five-degree um, liner spoiler in there as well. And you can't tell me it didn't work. <laughs> I you cannot. Know? I cannot. <laughs> like, he just murdered everybody with these setups. And it's like, I, I, I can't begin to describe, like, how that would feel. I'm just not there <laughs> as a skier. <laughs> Like I'm pretty okay, but I'm not, I won't even begin to make that comparison. Um, but he's also such a strong dude with a low center of gravity that he, he would be in some absurdly stiff plastics and still say they were folding on him. They still flex the boot, which is the crazy thing. And they still come back and say, I need more support here or the boot isn't giving me the support on this part of the turn, but it's giving me the perfect amount on this. Like you're, you are skiing for the enjoyment of skiing, right? You know, you're, you're looking to have those good feels. Yes. The good boot. feels, the good feels. And people like Marcel and Michaela are just out to kick ass. They just are there to win. And the boot needs to feel the way they need it to feel, but ultimately it's just got to perform to their level. And that's kind of where I was trying to describe, like, I just, I can't, I'm not a good enough skier to describe to you what they're feeling and why they need that. But the reality is they, they still flex the boot. You can, when you watch a, a slow-mo video of it, you can see them bending the ski, bending the boot. They're, they're leaning it over. You can see them actually pronating through the turn. So it, it is moving for them somehow <laughs> not for me <laughs> somehow all right um so 
Maybe to kind of wrap up this talk about forward lean and angles and the like, let's say there is somebody listening to this conversation and they're sitting there thinking, I can't honestly say that I know at all what these guys are talking about. Like, I just put on ski boots and skis and go skiing. And, you know, they're like, I'm not sure that I would notice the clear difference between this boot has too much forward lean for me or not enough. So to try to take this to a very practical and useful kind of 101 level, as a boot fitter and as a boot designer, what things would you suggest people think about and look for as they go out and they're skiing groomers or they're skiing off-piste? What could you say that would be useful to help people uh, get that sense of maybe this boot has too much forward lean for me or not enough? I mean, first, I just asked the, the seemingly simple question, are you having fun? You know? That's if you're not racing and trying to beat the clock and you're not competing and you're just out enjoying skiing, are you enjoying skiing? <laughs> are you meaning, are you skiing pain-free? Like, is your boot comfortable? Do you feel balanced? Um, do you feel like it's a struggle to get the ski to do what you want it to do? You know, instead of blaming the ski, which maybe it is, but a lot of the times maybe your boot is just set up wrong for you. Uh, it's a very similar analogy to like suspension on a full suspension mountain bike. You know, it's the right bike for you. You you bought the right thing. It's just not set up right. And that analogy has become really apparent to me the more I try to fiddle with all my dials on my downhill bike and mess it up and try to go back to square one again. But the the first thing I would ask is, are things feeling okay? Like, are you comfortable? Because if if a geometry is truly wrong for you, you'd feel it. Like it would stress your Achilles. It would make your quads way too tired. Um, it might even cause heel lift in your boots. Um, there's a lot of things a boot fitter will do to assess your geometry needs in the boot. And one of the things everybody can do at home is just stand on a flat surface, your floor, and no sneakers, barefoot, keeping your foot flat on the ground. Try to bend your knee as far forward as you can. Like get your knee over your toes, past your toes, and see when your heel lifts up. If you can get your knee past your toes with the plane that your toes is at, you're pretty good in terms of your range of motion. If you can't get to your toes before your heel lifts up, you've got a very limited range of motion. And this is a red flag uh, for setting up your boot. If you have a limited range of motion, you do not want your forward lean of the boot to be putting you ahead of where you can't go, like where your limit is. So for example, if you can only flex forward 15 degrees before your heel lifts up, it would be a major mistake to put your boot at 17 degrees. This will not only stress your Achilles, but you'll notice that as you go past your range of motion, your heel lifts. And if your heel is lifting while in a turn, like when you're flexing, then you're all 
it's almost game over in terms of alignment and balance and control over your skiing. So if you're feeling those things, that would be a, a big red flag um, that something should be adjusted on your boot. And there is usually a fix that your local boot fitter can, can whip up for you. Um, so first thing first, I always just say, if don't mess with it if it ain't broken. If you're liking how your boot feels and you're just happy skiing, and this is where a lot of people make mistakes. They start, oh, I'm going to start messing with my own cuff alignment or playing with forward lean. One guy tried to do sole canting on his own. Um, you know, it's just, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Because anybody who is struggling to have the right boot will tell you they would just wish to have it work. And so if it is working for you, let it go and go enjoy skiing. Um, yeah. So I'm all about tweaking things, but at a certain point, you can almost start hurting your own setup with going too far. My biggest takeaway from all that is that I definitely think we should start a rock band named the Soul Canters. <laughs> Obviously, that's the conclusion you should come to. <laughs> I can't decide if Soul Canting or Soul Canters is better. But, um, I think the, the Soul Canters. It kind of has this like 1960s doo-wop vibe. Definitely spelled S-O-U-L. But, um, <laughs> but so it's like kind of a double entendre, but you'd really have to be in the know. Put that one on, on the back burner. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. My, like, it's not going to be a new year's resolution, maybe like the, a new decade resolution. I'll have to like learn to play an instrument or something, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see where this goes. The kazoo. That'll be a good one. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. We're not, we have yet to talk about liners, but as we start to move in that direction, I actually want to talk to you about first the Atomic Hawks Ultra boot um mm -hmm. i have been back in this boot and actually skied my last three days in the hawks ultra 130s my first question is has there always been an s after the 130 or is the s new and if i don't know what it means or stands for yeah it was uh added in like the third year of the boot so when the boot was white and orange it was just called the ultra 130 and we started to get requests that people didn't know like where all the good features were when you started to go through our range <laughs> on our boots and I'm like, okay, you got to get some little highlight letter here. So S on all of our Hawks boots, that means you get power shift, the ability to adjust your forward lean and or flex independently from one another. Um, just kind of a thing we threw on there. Just so if you're, if dealers are looking at a price list or you're looking at things online, um, the S just has that, that feature that you can do that. Okay. So when I, so all our listeners should go to their boot fitter and be like, I want the Hawks ultra, but the one with all the good features, give me the good stuff, the good stuff, give me the good stuff one, but they can just shorthand that as give me the S. Give me the S. Yeah, that might be. <laughs> okay. I like, you guys are really trying to communicate a whole lot uh, with just the letter S. So, yeah. Okay. Um, it's been really interesting to be back in this boot because I skied, I haven't been in the Hawks Ultra since that first 
white boot since you first came out with that white boot. Um, and I think, as I recall, I was in that boot on the cover of like our year three buyer's guide. Um, so it's been really fun to kind of come in and revisit it. But I think you can pretty briefly walk through some of the, I think, rather subtle changes with the shell of that boot from the first gen Hawks, White Hawks that I skied several years ago to this new version of the boot. So maybe we move quickly through the the shell stuff, but I think then we're going to, this is my way to keep giving you that entrance to liners. Um, <laughs> I think that's where you're going to have more to say. So talk to me about the evolution of this Hawks Ultra boot. So over the years, uh, we've done, you know, little mold updates to just improve um, its water tightness, solve some durability um, hiccups in the first year, um, just try to make improvements wherever we, we could over the years. And we do this generally across all of our boots. Um, whenever we see something that could be better, we invest the money to go back into the molds, retool things here or there to make them just, just function to the next level. And so Hawks Ultra has had that over the last couple of years, um, as many of our boots do. Um, we've tried to make the shell a little bit more stable, especially in the rearward support of the boot. Um, so right where the power shift of the cuff sits on the shell, if you had, if you had an, a first-generation boot in your hands and you had this one, there's just more material back there. Uh, we've improved the buckles. It's a new buckle construction, one that sits closer to the overlap of the shell to help close the water sealing a little better. And general improvements on power straps. We now have a, a cam-style buckle strap um, at the top of the new boot. And especially, we'll get to it in a second, uh, there's a new uh, liner with Mimic technology that we'll spend some time on. Nothing super huge in terms of um, how the boot really skis uh, or feels in the foot is still the same same last, same foot shape that we've had. Um, cuff height, all that stuff is the same. Um, just minor little updates and tweaks to keep keep it at the forefront. By the way, I can attest to the rearward support of that boot. Yeah, skiing some steep stuff yesterday, it felt very good in that regard, I would say. Like, very good. Mm -hmm. uh, it's time to get into liner stuff. So liners are probably the least thought about, and so maybe given that the least understood element of ski gear and ski equipment. Tell us what you think that people ought to know about this thing. Um, you guys do actually spend quite a bit of time thinking about these liners and working on them. So the floor is yours. Sure. I would definitely agree that, you know, like shells and cuffs tend to steal the, the limelight. When you talk about a new boot, it's really the plastic stuff that people tend to focus on, you know. Um, and liners are kind of taken for granted. I know when I was a boot fitter, I kind of did too. You know, like a, you kind of just assume the liner is is good and dialed in for that boot. And you kind of, you literally take it for granted. You can't see it. It's hidden on the inside. And yeah, people, it's, it's an afterthought, if it's an afterthought kind of thing, if it even makes it that far. But 
liners are probably, if not the most expensive part of a ski boot. They're more expensive than a shell. They're more expensive than a cuff or the buckles. Um, it, it really is a huge investment of, of time and energy um, to make sure those things are dialed. Because especially when you talk about how the boot fits out of the box and its long longevity, 50, 60, 100, 150 days later, what's it feel like? Um, these are all things that, that really get weighed um, in the liner's development, which, yeah, it, as we develop a shell in CAD and get it tested and all this stuff, um, in one of our podcasts, we talk about how long it takes to bring a ski boot to market. It's about 21 months for a tonic to 24 months. If, you know, from the time it's uh, drawn on a, a bar napkin at 2 a.m. to the point where it's in your office, Jonathan, uh, to be tested, is is a, a two-year thing. And liners take all that time to get dialed in. And it, it is definitely one of the, the things that a ski boot lives and dies by. So even though it's an afterthought to a lot of retailers, consumers, end users, it is one of the things that just takes forever to get right uh, from, my, from my side. I guess that's a good intro, intro to it. When we make a liner, for example, uh, we have our own liner factory in Europe um, where the Hawks liners are made, and it takes about 50 people, and these are all made by hand, by the way. There's, of course, tools involved, but they're all hand-cut, hand-stitched, hand-lasted, and it's about 50 people making one liner when it's all said and done, and it takes about a little over an hour to get one liner produced. So you talk about making a ski boot, the liner is such a hugely uh, complex and time-intensive thing, um, and it needs to be. This is where your foot is literally coming in contact with the boot, and there's just so many layers and literally literal layers um, to get right and get dialed. And if it doesn't, um, it, it fails what I call the 30-second test. One of the things that, that we've set forward at Atomic is that when someone tries on our ski boots, we know they're trying on not just a pair of Atomics, they're trying on a Lang, a Razi, a Solomon, a Head, a Technica, whatever, on the other foot. And the boot that feels worse goes back in the box. It takes about 30 seconds to a minute to make that decision. So we've got millions of euros of R&D to win that, what we call the first fit battle. And we, we want to make sure we win that first fit because there's no second chance. And then there comes the, the longevity aspect of the liners. And so there's always this balance of good cushy first fit and long-term stability to foams. If you made a liner that would last, let's just say 500 days of skiing, not just calendar days, but days of use, the first fit of that liner is going to be really unpleasant for a lot of people. It's just going to feel like cement for the most part. Um, so there's always this striking 
trying to find this balance of a good first fit that holds the foot and to make sure you use the right materials that just don't break down over time. And uh, this is the, the thing that all brands kind of try to walk the, the line the right way. And it's, it's really tricky. It just seems impossible, right? Like, and I think that, you know, for some of us who have been skiing for a while and maybe ski a bunch of days and really think through these details, you know, there's a certain sector, and I, I presume it's pretty small, who don't expect to stick their foot in and 30 seconds later feel like this high-performance boot is just like a slipper on my foot. It's amazing. Like, thanks, Atomic, right? And so I think some of us have been trained over the years to be like, all right, Got to get a new boot going in. It's going to be a process. There's going to be some painful days on the mountain that we're going to go through to like really dial things in. And then I think I really can appreciate from a commercial point of view when you're talking about the 30-second rule and probably talking about the vast majority of skiers out there, some of those folks understandably are like, screw that. I want this expensive product to feel good right away. So I really don't know what you guys are supposed to do. And mostly this makes me think that I've made better life choices by not creating ski boots. <laughs> yeah, you took the easy way out there. I huh? took the easy way out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, I think that these things are really intention, right? Like, and, and frankly, I mean, from personal experience, one of my all-time favorite Alpine boots was absolutely ruined absolutely ruined a number of years ago because the manufacturer clearly decided we're going to make this boot extremely easy to to slip into and take off yeah and it destroyed the performance of the boot you totally see that happening now things are getting way easier to put on and take off as like that's like the most important thing and therefore a lot of boots just don't flex like they used to for sure so something needs to happen here, right? We as an industry need to do a much better job educating consumers so that, and so I'll, I'll like take the blame for this, right? Like this is part of our work as we see it. We need to do a better job just telling people, listen, your first day or two, do not expect, you know, slipper like comfort. And then you guys can get back to making like really good products that don't have, that aren't compromised right out of the gate, right? Or we just have to say, apparently we're all just super soft nowadays and everybody just wants instant comfort and we'll take a performance hit. Mm -hmm. I mean, some brands, it's clear they've gone down that road. You know, that they, they've definitely prioritized in-store fit over everything, including skiing performance. And we'd like to think and hope that we haven't done that. It's like you said, you're trying to walk this line of, we do want to fit well, you know, but we also want to make sure that it still has the guts to do the end goal. Let's go skiing ultimately. And I remember, you know, working on the sales floor in my old shop, if a boot didn't fit well out of the box and it was a pain in the ass for me, to get it to fit somebody, I just didn't sell it, you know? 
if, if these brands can't get their shit together and know you can't make a toe box shaped like an arrowhead, why am I going to spend my time punching it out? You know, um, for example. Um, so I think for sure brands are learning how to make good out of the box fits just with their attention to detail on anatomic last shapes, anatomic liner constructions, innovative custom solutions, uh, just to help you got a good fit out of the box. Well, let's perfect it with this next step kind of thing. I think that's getting better for the better, you know, um, you know, you test a lot of boots and when you put a boot on and it just sucks out of the box, you are not stoked to go spend a day in it, you know? So there's this kind of, well, we don't want to get too close or too far away from a good fit out of the box because who wants to, no one wants to spend 10 hours with a boot fitter, you know, but at the same time, I don't want to be so cushy spongy that it doesn't hold my foot the right way. And this is really the, the merging of last definition, last shapes with liner constructions is to find this holy grail, this, this perfect harmony of liner and, and shell together. And it's for sure an evolution. I think every year brands are getting better at it. Some brands are more focused on other things, but I'd like to think that we've been able to come up with last shapes and liner technologies um, that you still have a good out of the box fit, but there's a high level of customization potential if needed that doesn't sacrifice your performance. That's my goal, at least anyway. We'll let you guys be the judge of if we, how close we come to the bullseye. What else should we know or think about with respect to kind of just liners in general before maybe we move to, you know, the talk about the specific new liner in the Hawks Ultra? So it might be helpful to kind of just paint a kind of historical overview of, of liners in the last 15, 20 years. Uh, it won't take that long, but, um, <laughs> but just, so, just so people can wrap their heads around how things have evolved and why we've done what we're going to talk about here tonight. Um, everybody knows about foam injection liners. You know, you've got a, essentially a blank liner with nothing inside of it, and a boot fitter will pump in liquid foam that turns into actual foam foam um, that goes around your foot exactly in the right way. Um, this is kind of the epitome of customization but it has zero first fit. Like there's no way you can try this boot on and say, oh yeah, I kind of want to go that way. You kind of just have to go in 100% faith with your boot fitter and, 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 go, and do it. You've got some liners that are really great at first fit. And these modern liners, I'm going to generally call them 3D liners. They have this kind of pre-shaped ankle and heel area um, that gives a really good first fit. There's no more breaking in of the dense foams. It's kind of already pre-shaped, so you can slide into the heel pocket a little bit easier. Um, so these liners really win the first fit battle, but they have a lesser degree of customization that we'll get into. Um, and there, it's been really hard for brands to come up with a solution that marries 
a great first fit with a super high customization potential to the liner. There's always, there, in the past, there's been a give and take, um, whether it's a completely empty foam liner or an intuition liner that is just super dense and hard until you cook it and grunt through the fitting process. Or you take a 3D liner that feels great out of the box, but you can't change the 3D shape that the boot has, for example. Um, so to, to really marry these two concepts together has been the challenge of, and, and the goal of a lot of brands in the last, let's say five, six years. Let's, let's back up and think about a foam injection liner. Have you ever had one done? No. Oh, oh really? I ski my stock liners and then occasionally I revert back to my zip fits. Um, mm -hmm. but given that most people are going to ski these boots, we review with stock liners. I, I'm a man of the people. Nice. I like that. <laughs> um, do you happen to have a boot, one of my boots in front of you? The honest answer to your question is no, I don't have one of your boots right in front of me, but given the magic of podcast editing, I got off the couch, went back to get the Ultra 130S that was on our boot dryer since I was skiing it yesterday. And now I can actually say, yes, I have an Ultra 130S in my hand and I have pulled the liner from it and am now looking at it. Cool. The magic of podcasts. It's a magical, it's a magical <laughs> medium. <laughs> so... Let me circle back uh, on the foam liner question. You haven't had a foam liner, but let me just lay the groundwork of that. So if other people haven't had one, they know what we're talking about. So this blank liner has no first fit, but it creates um, one of the most ideal custom fits that you can get. But there's a lot of things that can go wrong in the fitting process. Um, foam can unevenly fill the inside versus the outside of the foot. Um, the foam can explode, make a gigantic mess in the shop. Um, a lot of shops just stopped doing these uh, in the last 15 years. They're just, they're like, it's not worth the hassle. And sometimes, even for our own race department, it takes two or three to get a good one that the racers like to use. So there's a high, a high customization potential but then also a really high failure rate or lack of success rate, let's just say, um, when doing a foam injection liner. Um, and so one of the things that I've always liked about a foam injection liner is just that it's, it's your foot shape. It, it really is following the contours of your foot and the shell super, super well. So about five years ago, let's just say, um, I really wanted to make a liner construction that gave all the benefits of a foam liner, but without the mess, without the risk of explosion. Um, the time that it takes to do this is super long as well. There's just a lot of things that can go wrong with these foam liners. And I'm like, well, how can I get as close to that as possible? And we've been working with 3M for a long time uh, with Thinsulate, like an insulation we put in our boots. And they said, well, we got this cool material called scotch cast. It's this hard material that when you get it wet in hot water, it becomes soft and pliable. 
but then when it dries, it takes the shape of whatever you just put it around. And of course, it, they use it for casts. And I was like, well, that doesn't really help me a whole lot on the ski boot side because we try to get the water out of our boots, not submerge <laughs> them in hot water. And so it's, it's been, that was about five years ago. And we've been really searching hard for materials that are heat reactive, like hot air, um, that can be molded, that can be shaped and cool and harden in whatever shape you want, like your foot, ankle, shin, you name it. And so about two years ago, about a year and a half to two years ago, we finally found um, a really cool material that allowed us to do this. And this new technology is what we call Mimic. And Mimic technology uh, is going to be in our top-end liner constructions, so what we call a platinum-level liner. Um, in normal ultra, ultra-extended, prime, and prime extended for next year. So a, a lot of our, um, especially our high performance end of the range is gonna go to this new liner technology that um, replaces what's traditionally been inside our normal 3D liner. So Jonathan, you're holding a liner right now. You see that it has a defined like ankle shape to it. It looks very anatomic. Yep. This is what we refer to as a 3D liner. A lot of brands have this kind of ankle pre-shaped uh, or a pre-shaped ankle and heel area to their liners. And this was designed to offer the, a really good first fit. The downside to even an atomic 3D liner um, is that this shape is set and the material inside is not moldable. Well, it is heat moldable, but the heat required to mold it would destroy the rest of the liner. So you can't really change its shape. When you heat mold an existing 3D liner, you do mold the foams that are on the inside. You've got really nice memory foams, really nice heat moldable EVA foams, like you'd find on an Intuition liner. Those will mold and shape to you but the 3D pre-shaped hard outer does not change. And what we have in the Mimic liners is a, a new material that we just, we take the old material out, put this new material in, so the first fit is exactly the same. So there's no change to what we've had in stores last year, to what we'll deliver next year in terms of first fit. But when you put this liner into our memory fit oven, you will soften the special material in the ankle area, in the entire plastic tongue, and the plastic calf of the boot. And when you put it back in the shell and stand in it, it will literally shape to your ankle, your heel, your instep height, your shin, your calf muscle, and then it hardens in that shape. Like legit setting, like a foam liner would in that shape. And one of the things that I used to really swear by before I joined Atomic were Intuition liners. I had them in a lot of my boots. I sold them as aftermarket upgrades um, to a, a typical ski boot because when you heated these liners up, they do shape and mold, 
but they're just foam. You're, there's no hardness, uh, like legit hardness, um, the way this, this new mimic technology is. And so, yes, an intuition liner will shape and mold to your foot, but it still is a, a, a layered system of spongy foams. And what mimic is, is special materials uh, that when heated, fully shape, and then when they cool, fully harden to whatever it is that you need. And this is one of the, the next real like breakthroughs, I think, in, in liner technology, is to give that great first fit that we're, that we're known for, but then to have a crazy high level of customization potential um, that can do whatever you want. So how do we talk about, I mean, it's a, a sure foot is a foam injected liner, right? Mm -hmm. And intuition is just a foam liner, but it's what, how do you say pre-injected? Like, how do you actually talk about these different categories? So we're, cause you've gone from the injected foam injected to what would be the proper name for say an intuition to then you're talking about mimic, which is a 3d mold foam moldable help. Like help me just understand, right? Like the proper way to think about those. So a foam injected liner, you're going to have one type of foam in that liner. So it'll go thick where it needs to. Like, if you've got a lot of space behind your heel, it fills that void. If you've got your ankle bone really close to the shell, it goes really thin around your ankle. Um, so it's one type of foam that is expanding and filling all these voids and contracting where it needs to. So one type of PU foam, typically. Intuition, if you were to cut an intuition liner, you would see it looking like a cake. There's different layers of foams. Um, there's soft foams next to skin, and they typically work progressively harder as you get closer to the shell. So like a layer cake or, you know, if you're a geologist, mm -hmm. different striations and dirt. And stuff. <laughs> so what are we calling them? So intuition would be like layered foam, Sand like, like sandwich construction, like a ski. You know, you've got one layer glued to another layer, glued to another layer, glued to another layer. But we, the industry calls those layered foam liners? I don't know what they would call them. That's funny. They just call it an intuition liner. Yeah. So intuition is the Kleenex. It's the gorilla mid of liners. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, yeah. But we don't actually have the word tissue yet. We could invent this. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it, it really is like a layered foam liner like you've just got six or seven layers that are glued together, one on top of the other. And I, I say we call them intuition because I'm North American, but intuition isn't really that popular in Europe. They don't really know about it. You know, um, other companies like Palu will kind of take the reins in Europe uh, or CDOS. They have these kind of, in general, they'd call it an EVA liner because all the foams are different types of EVA foams that are layered and glued one on top of another so that we would call it an eva liner to be honest because it's just pure eva like there's no plastic tongue there's no leather there's no microfiber there's no whatever it's just 
pure EVA layered, glued together, and stitched. And then we're talking about a third class of liner, 3D liners, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That seems pretty clear, the, the kind of pre-shaped. You've got your traditional alpine liner, you can call it that. You know, you, the kind of, you, you take, a, take any traditional four-buckle boot, rip the liner out of it, you're going to have a liner that has this outer material. You usually have a PVC or a microfiber or a lycra. It's like what's touching the shell. There's an outer layer. And if you could just, if you wanted to, you could take an X-Acto knife and just cut all the stitching away, and you could just dissect this liner. And as you get inside, you're going to see different foams that are glued and layered together. You're going to see lining materials next to skin of various fabrics, um, all designed to do different jobs of aiding stepping. They slide in super easy, um, but they also hold the foot once you're in there. So you're going to see this kind of just really complex um, array of bits and pieces in a normal Alpine liner. And what, what Mimic is, to, to answer your question, is we take our 3D liner construction that we've had for a few years now, and we're taking out the one material that we used to use that gave that ankle shape. We found a really cool new special material um, to substitute for that that delivers the characteristics of complete moldability, um, not just on a foam level. So we're still molding the foams that are next to skin, but we're also molding this new uh, hard material that lives more towards the outside of the liner, exactly to the shape of your foot and to the shape of the shell whether it's the out-of-the-box shell shape or if you've done navicular punches or ankle punches, it totally follows those contours and hardens in place. So you guys are calling this Mimic. Could we give this sort of a name if we're trying to get clear on different categories or types of liners? It would be something like what, like 3D paired with Magic is probably the best. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I, I haven't really thought about it, to be honest. Um, your, your marketing person should just write you a check for that. Be like, that was go. amazing. You're you the just put a layer of magic in the middle, and you're good to go. Just <laughs> oh, trust me. <laughs> 3D paired with magic. You created oh. a new category. That's fantastic. We got, we've accomplished a lot. We started a band. And if only people knew what we were talking about for the first hour and 15 minutes before we hit the record button. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. There's that too. Um, well, they'll, they'll learn about that soon. Soon enough. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. All right. But to, to really answer your question, I don't... It would probably be a 3D liner still because when you look at it, it looks just like one of our liners from last year, to be honest. It doesn't look from the outside that much different. Um, but it's honestly, it's, it's inside where it's all happening. You know, just like almost every ski we review, these are all flat skis. They look from the outside really similar, but the magic is all on the inside with how they feel, how they ski, all that stuff. And liners are, are really like that. Um, sure, we could try to bring some kind of 
I don't want to call it smoke and mirrors, but some kind of visibility to it somehow in the future. Nah, don't, don't do that. But like my, my main concern was just make it work. It's been yeah. five years now. And honestly, we're, we're at a point where it does work and it works super well. And I couldn't be more stoked on how it turned out. So here's the good news and the bad news, right? As we've talked about on gear 30 podcasts, like God blessed me with a foot shape that tends to get along with a lot of companies, you know, quote unquote LV boots. What will be interesting is as I was telling you, Matt, before we started recording, uh, our managing editor, Lou Coppa, God did not smile upon his feet. Um, <laughs> his feet are a disaster, and he is basically never comfortable in a boot. So in some ways, I feel like Luke would be, it would be interesting to see, like he would be a more, like I've skied this boot out of the box and actually had a really good fit. So I'm kind of not that great of a test case here for for the claims you're making, Honestly, I'm I'm the same way. I can ski an ultra out of the box, a size smaller than my measured size, like a like a one centimeter shell fit. I don't do any boot work to it. It's crazy. Yeah, and that's 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 my situation. I'm skiing at one size smaller, and it's it's comfortable. It's been comfortable for three days. And what what blew me away was when I did the whole mimic process. Of it's a twelve minute fitting process. What you guys should do is literally take a picture of the liners from behind the heel, like looking from the heel towards the toe. Take a picture of what the 3D shape looks like, how we deliver it out of the box, and then take a picture of it once you've molded it. You're going to be incredibly surprised how different it looks. So you're saying even for me, like I should do this even if I'm saying I've got a pretty comfortable fit right now, um, or are you saying, well, you could do that. It might not look that different if it's already a comfortable fit. But with like Luke, if we get Luke in this boot, that would be the, maybe the more interesting case. Yeah. But I, I mean, you'll, this is one of the things I've, on all the clinics I've done um, so far with, with this liner is to show people, you know, here's what it looks like before. Let's just step into it, do the whole process with your footbed, of course, all this stuff. And it just becomes more uniform, more seamless, what I call just optimized. You know, you got a good fit out of the box, and now we're just going to make everything follow the contours of where it should be. And it's especially not, it's not just the ankle, it's also the tongue. So if you've got a, a skinny chicken leg like me, when this is heated and you buckle the boot up, it just wraps around your shin that much better than before. So it, it really just, it does get, for lack of a better word, just optimized. Like it doesn't get looser. You're not going to pack anything out prematurely. Uh, all those fears of, oh, I want to ski the boot before I do anything. Sure, you can still do that. Go nuts. But if you do this uh, mimic heating process with your local boot fitter, you're going to be smiling for sure. I mean, one of the one of the cool things about like when I when I've been showing off this liner to people, is when I when I first got the prototypes for it, I said, "Well, let's just see how this works." I put it in the oven, took it out after five minutes, and just squeezed the ankle and heel area, totally deformed it, and you can see my fingerprints 
around the hole. It just looks like I squished it, you know? And um, it cools and hardens with my fingerprint indentations in it, you know? And the beauty of this for the boot fitters of the world is it's also repeatable. So I've taken these squished liners, put them back in the oven, heated them back up for five minutes, put it back on, and you can't tell that I did that to it. It just takes the shape of whatever it does again. So it has a really cool aspect of, let's say you got it fit this winter, but you did a little, went a little too full send mountain biking in the summer and you broke your ankle. And now you've got extra pins and screws and things sticking out where they shouldn't be. Your boot doesn't fit when you go ski next time. You can reheat and redo one of the liners and it will take exactly the shape again that you need it to do. And that's one of the things that a foam liner, for example, could never do. If you mess up or want to redo a foam liner, you, you are going to start from scratch again. Meaning start with, throw the old liner out, start with a new liner? For a foam injected liner? Yeah. 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 Just, just clarifying. And, you know, companies will sometimes attach claims. So this, when you call it repeatable, I, let's say I'm going to make the assumption it's not infinitely repeatable. Of course not. Have you guys come up with a bit of a number? Maybe it's kind of like how many times can you redrill a ski, right? Are you guys already sort of put attaching a, you could recook it, reshape it X number of times? I stopped doing it after 15. The material, the mimic material will always move and keep moving. However, the foams, once you start doing it that many times, the foams will break down for sure. So we recommend that you shouldn't do this more than five times. If you want to keep the foams intact, the linings intact, uh, all that stuff, which to be honest, in the hands of a competent boot fitter, you do it once and you're, you're good. Um, it's only those weird special cases of, oh, I got an injury and things changed. I need to do it a second time, you know? Um, but you can totally do it. I mean, I, I've skied, I don't know how many prototypes where I've, I've heated it and baked it five or six times and it still feels awesome. So you said you have, you stopped at 15, but the kind of recommendation is going to be five. Yeah. I mean, the, the mimic material, again, we're not talking about the foams here. It's this special layer of material we put in the liners will always become moldable. It'll cool and harden, heat it back up. It becomes moldable. It'll cool and harden. Um, but when you start to do, you start to really bake the whole liner that many times, you, you, you do cause adverse effects to the foams on the inside. They just will pack out too quickly. We're, we're generally saying, you know, five, six times you can do it and be safe. But for the most part, no one will ever get that far with, with it. So, Unless there's a family that has like 13 <laughs> children. It's all hand-me-downs. Yeah. It's all hand-me-down liners for like, you know, 15 years. And they all have wildly different foot shapes. So to those people listening. In the same size, yeah. In well, the same good. size. Those people are listening and they're, they're bummed right now. They're, yeah, they're, sorry. Well, maybe we'll get a solution in a couple of years, but. Okay. They're like, do better, Matt Manzer. We got to start somewhere. You got to you know? start somewhere. All right. 
we were talking before this conversation and I was talking about like certain truck manufacturers in particular, you know, everybody, you know, goes out and gets their Tacoma or whatever, and then immediately just starts modifying the hell out of it (laughs) and putting lifts on it and putting bigger tires than is factory recommended. And I've read some of the stuff from these auto manufacturers are like, dear people, we completely and utterly designed, you know, and spec'd these vehicles to perform at the highest level. So we would love it if you didn't immediately just put these two inch or four inch lifts on the rigs or put bigger tires than we've spec'd, et cetera. And um, I always kind of, I found myself thinking about like, aftermarket liners with respect to this if boot manufacturers are kind of like the car manufacturers like guys we specifically you know built these liners to work with a given shell please please stop like immediately tossing the liners and stuffing something else inside the boot so i want you to weigh in on how good of an analogy or not good of an analogy this is with respect to aftermarket truck parts or aftermarket ski boot liners? I would say it's pretty accurate. Um, I've, I've experienced this now from both sides of the fence. So when I was a boot fitter, I was for sure making franking boots with athletes and other customers, you know, trying these buckles on this boot or this power strap, especially power straps, um, doing different liners and different boots, mostly just to get the person happy. You know, like no brand can fit everybody out of the box or with, with one configuration. It's just not realistic. So from, from a boot fitter's perspective, you're just trying to get someone happy, pain-free, increase their skiing performance at the same time. Um, so truck manufacturers don't really have that angle, you know, like the, the truck's not uncomfortable to drive. They're just souping it up because it's rad or something. <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, when you talk to brand people, they do dislike it that, that customers or bootfitters are messing with what they've spent the better part of 24 months trying to get right. <laughs> So I, I see it. I see it from both sides, and I also see it, you know, sometimes working against the consumer or the skier. Um, we have designed this liner to fit exactly into the shell the right way. And when you do take a really, especially an intuition liner that's just super thick and high volume, and you stuff it in the shell, I mean, a lot of people have seen this just not doesn't work the right way. You know, um, sometimes it works out great for sure, but a lot of the times it's also, maybe we should have tried something different. Um, at the same time as a mountain biker, I've upgraded almost every part of my bike (laughs) imaginable, you know? Um, so I, I totally see it from, from both sides. Um, the reality is we like to think we made a perfect ski boot, but everybody's got these little nuances that make more sense for them to do something different sometimes. So 
if somebody wants to put a different power strap on or a different liner prior to this conversation, I would have said whatever floats your boat. Um, but I think this will be the liner, honestly, that people will try to source and put into other boots. And that's one of the things I wanted to make was to make a, a real drool worthy liner that you could put into other low volume or medium volume boots, which will be available as an, a standalone thing. When will these mimic liners be available? Uh, normally uh, next fall. That's when dealers will start to take their, what we call a preseason order and they get like an August or September ship date. Usually it's end of summer, early fall, things will be rolling in. Um, I don't know what the numbers look like in the U.S. for that, but they'll be ready for both, like I said, Ultra, Ultra Extended, Prime, and Prime Extended. And this is also like a cool, a cool note. Um, obviously, with Ultra Extended, you guys have been reviewing the 130 as it st comes stock with a more touring-oriented liner, and the 120, which comes with a more Alpine-oriented liner. So next year, um, the Ultra Extended 130 comes with this Mimic liner, which is more like the 120 now. So we're moving away from the lightweight touring construction. Um, that will be an aftermarket part and still is an aftermarket part. So if you do love the, the lightweight, more touring-oriented liner, don't fret. It'll still be available as an aftermarket part. Um, but next year's Ultra Extended 130 will come with a Mimic Platinum liner. So you're going to get the same exact fit that you felt um, in the normal Ultra that you've been skiing for the last couple of days. Talk to me a little bit about that decision. That seems like kind of a big one. That that decision goes back to when we first started making the Ultra Extended Series. You know, we, we wanted to have, we, you know, for sure we wanted to have the lightest boot in this category. And then we were also like, well, it's still at 130. It needs to just kick ass. And it was really, we debated so many times back and forth of what kind of liner to put in the 130. And eventually we just got so much feedback that people were like, oh, I wish I could just get the 120 liner. So we started making that as an aftermarket part. So someone, if they did buy a 130, they could buy the 120 liner. Um, and just too many people were messaging me on whatever social media channel and say, I wish I could get the 130 with the 120 liner. So the boot gets a little bit heavier for next year. It's still one of the lightest boots in its class. I think it's still like 1,500 and something grams. Um, but it's going to fit, ski, and behave just like a normal Ultra 130. But with a flex zone, so it still moves for touring. You guys have this whole new boot that we should talk about. Probably a cool idea. Probably good for us to talk about that. Why don't you talk about that now? Sure. So I think most of our most of your audience um, is well familiar with the Hawks Ultra Extended. This is our low volume, ninety eight millimeter lasted, um, essentially a Hawks Ultra with a walk mode. It has like the best of our backland features mixed with the best of a normal Ultra, um, but it's only a narrow low volume fit. And what we've launched for next year, so coming in uh, the fall of 2020, is the Hawks Prime Extended. 
Prime is our medium fit, 100 millimeter option. Uh, the Prime Extended has one-to-one -one the same exact fit as Hawks Prime, normal, so without the walk mode. Same exact geometry, same three forward lean settings of 13, 15, or 17 degrees, um, but with all the features that the extended boots are known to have. So if you're in that medium foot shape or, or a, a wider foot shape and you want to expand the boot out to fit your foot, um, this is definitely going to be of interest to you guys. So we have, uh, I sent you the, the 130 model. And this is a full Grillamid boot, so Grillamid lower shell, Grillamid cuff, uh, so a lightweight shell construction. But you'll notice that we've really beefed up what we call the ProLite construction to the shell. And it's, it's really apparent when you hold the Ultra, your, that red Ultra next to it, the reinforcement that's around the hinge area that extends down to the bottom of the shell um, is much thicker, much more pronounced. And this is to help uh, fight against the shell bellowing and increase shell stability, especially when skiing through like choppy mank. You know, this boot's going to be much more stable, um, much stronger um, than other lightweight boots that we've. We're always making the next generation kind of better, faster, more kind of thing. So this has all of our learnings from making lightweight boots um, ski better, ski more damp ski more powerfully through uneven, less perfect conditions, um, but still retain a, still a lightweight characteristic. I think this boot is 1,670 grams um, with you know, a heavy liner, quote unquote. It has a traditional Alpine mimic construction to it. Um, it's got a heavy power strap, um, but it does have our lightweight touring buckles, grip walk sole, tech inserts, all, all the good stuff that an extended boot should have. When you were just talking about the thicker plastic, how exactly would you talk about that? Yeah, so if you, especially if you look at the medial face, like the inside edge kind of thing of, of this boot, you're going to see extra plastic, extra reinforcement from the ankle area, like essentially down through the navicular, down to the first metatarsal to really strengthen and support the lower shell. And the reason you guys do that is now that you have a higher volume clog or lower, yeah. it's going to, that's like the more you increase that vol, volume, the more bellowing exactly. a boot is going to naturally get. So you're going to come in and reinforce. You can think of like a PVC pipe, you know, you've got one with a two inch diameter, and then one with a six inch diameter, if both have the same wall thickness, the six inch pipes, you can squeeze it with your hand, you know? So a medium fit shell is kind of like that bigger pipe. It's higher volume. It's going to be easier to compress. So it's wall thickness has to be thicker to reach the same stability or better than it's a smaller counterpart. Yeah. For all those people who aren't, you know, blessed with my perfect feet, this just should be some pretty good news for those for those uh, unfortunate souls. Exactly. And if you're curious, if you're like, oh, how's it going to fit? You could literally walk into any Atomic dealer right now, try on a Hawks Prime 130, and that's how it's going to fit. Like it's one-to-one -one the same. So it's, it's one of the things we really wanted to be 
super critical and careful about is if we're going to throw the prime name on it, it should fit like a prime. And that's also kind of why we went back to the drawing board on the ultra extended liner. It's just got to fit like an ultra at the end of the day. So th those boots will fit one to one the same ultra to ultra extended and prime to prime extended. In terms of sales, if we think of the, not thinking about the touring boots at all, but just the ultra versus the prime Alpine boots, dedicated Alpine boots, what are those ratios like in terms of sales? You know, the low volume ultra versus the medium volume prime, way more primes? Way more, triple. Triple, okay. Yeah. And we sell generally, it's kind of hard to put these numbers into with absolute certainty, um, but we're very confident that we have the market selling, the best selling 98 millimeter boot with Ultra. We know other numbers from our other competitors and we're, we know we're, if not the number one selling narrow fit and we sell triple the amount of primes. Interesting. Um, <laughs> do you, is there anything we missed? I mean, it's been, I don't know what four, four episodes. Well, not counting, not counting. I think one episode, like our initial one ever. Yeah. So, so I think we've done five episodes, probably, well, total time, <laughs> maybe not published or edited. I think we've gone easily over 10 hours. Uh, what if, have we left anything out? Is there some oh, stone sure. we've yet to, <laughs> what, <laughs> what do we got to go to next? I think you could just, you could always talk more about boots. About just, boots. Yeah. Okay. You get me going, it's going to, it's hard to shut me up. So. Okay. Um, maybe we'll just see if we can keep putting out more episodes and then until we get the point where I receive like a hundred emails from people being like, please, for the love of God, stop. Just and no then it, more boots. <laughs> just no more, no more boots. Um, all right. Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how this all unfolds. But Matt, once again, this has been really informative. Um, it's also been fun. And uh, I think we've been managed to shine a, a nice light on this whole, you know, this whole little world of ski boots and ski boot tech. So uh, as always, I appreciate your time and your willingness to share. No, it's my pleasure, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I look forward to the next <laughs> whatever conversation we can manage on, on boots. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, man, I'll let you get going, and I will talk to you soon, I'm sure. Sounds good. Cheers. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Now, don't forget to go check out housequiver.com. That's H-A-U-S quiver.com. And if you are grateful for all of the boot knowledge that we've been dropping on Gear 30 recently, then we would very much appreciate it if you would take just like 30 seconds to leave us a five-star rating in iTunes. And thanks once again to Matt Manzer for the conversation. Thanks to Luke Alley for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. And now, please go out, have fun, have a great time on the mountain, be safe out there, and we will talk to you again next week.